It's a beautiful morning. I know on our drive-in we have a few miles to cover and uh, definitely lots of leaves pretty much gone, but you get to see God's creation and enjoy a warm day in the midst of the fall and in the midst of arguments on internet sites about something that may affect our future but doesn't affect who God is. Um, It's a blessing to see that, you know what, the God who created everything that we see is the God who's in control of all things that are going on. Even as crazy as it may sound, He's in control of what has transpired in the last week. And God will not be shocked by the final result. Um, And so... We should not be afraid that God is going to miss out on something or somehow we can change what God is going to do. We should be praying, absolutely, but God will do what God will do. So, if anything, I would encourage us as a body to realize that what has transpired in the last week, whether one party or not is elected, we've seen that over half our nation is for abortion. And I think we should consider that as Christians, that God's mercy on our nation is not going to last much longer. And we need to be crying out, not only for ourselves, God's mercy, but for mercy for the lost, because it will not be long I I don't I could be wrong, but I don't think it's going to be long before we're going to start to see God's judgment on our nation. And there may be a reprieve for the moment, but I would encourage you with me to be praying and fasting for our, not only our church but this nation and in our local community that God would open doors for us individually and as a church to reach the lost, because without Jesus, they have no hope. And so, the the course that our country is going in is not one of God's mercy at this moment. God could change that with the prayers of His people. We've seen that throughout the ages. God turning from His judgment to give mercy. But if we are not calling out to him in prayer and asking him to change not only our hearts, but the hearts of our neighbors, Um, anyways, it doesn't have anything to do with the sermon today, but I've been thinking thoughts like that ever since Tuesday. Um, So, Anyways, well, if you'll turn with me this morning and stand with me as we read the word of the Lord to us, Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Centrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. 
Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Greet Irenaeus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who also has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stichus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Greet those who are the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet Esencritus, Philagian, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. For the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I am rejoicing over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so do Lucius and Jason and Sospater and my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Quartus, the brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory of forever. Amen. Lord, I pray that our lives, this church, would glorify you. Lord, whether our names are known by any other person than the few in this room, I pray, Lord, that when the names of your children and your servants is called, we would be named. Not because we are Great, but because you are to be glorified and because you have done a work in us and have established us as your children. Father, cause our hearts to be consumed with a passion for your glory. 
We pray this this morning. Your Spirit, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. It's hard when you have a big list of names to know how do we preach this? How do we understand this ending? Because Paul has really, at the last part of 15, we, we saw the purpose of writing the letter. And then we have this list of people that he wants to greet in Rome. And then he, he gives a warning to them right in the middle. And then he sends greetings from where he is. And then finally he has what many would describe as a doxology. And so I've decided to preach this sermon backwards. So we're going to start with a doxology and tie that in to everything else that Paul says before. Because I think that is really important to us as believers. And so when we get to verse 25, Paul is beginning to speak of the glory of God. Sorry, not so fond of this one. Um, and he's he like I said, he's already said some things about dear believers that are in Rome. He's warned them about some who are not dear, and then he sends greetings from those who are working with him wherever he is. Ephesus, Corinth, we're not sure. But this, right here, his doxology here in verse 25 through 27 is actually, I believe, a good summary of the book of Romans. You say, well, how's that possible? Well, let's read it. He says, now to him. Who? Well, if you look in verse 27, he ends, to the only wise God. So in verse 28 or 25, he says, To him, who? God, the only wise God. And what is what does this God do? He, he is able to establish you, make you firm, set you on a foundation that cannot be moved. The world around you may be moving and quaking and shaking, but he establishes you. This is important because all the people that Paul names in Rome have been established by God. They are not named because they're some special person outside of God. It's because of what God has done through them. That is why they are named. When they are named, who is getting the glory? God is. Because they are dear believers to Paul. People Paul knows who are established in the faith. So now, to Him who is able to establish you. He's talking to all the believers in Rome. God is able to establish you. And today He's saying to you and I, I will establish you. 
If you are seeking to be established on anything other than God, I promise you, you will be sorely disappointed. Whether it's a political election, or money, or power, or fame, those things will fail. But the foundation of God and His establishment of you will not fail. And how do we know that? Because if you turn with me to Romans chapter 8, this is what Paul says. What is it that establishes us? It's the love of God. And what can take that away? Well, let's see. Verse 38 of chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our foundation. And it cannot be corroded because Christ is risen. He will not decay. And since He will not decay, then our foundation is firm. And we can be established individually as families in Christ and as a church. Yeah, we may be small. That's not a big deal. We may be forced to be small in the future. When persecution comes, you can't have these mega churches anymore unless you decide you're not going to preach something. Just ask the believers in China what it's like. The Chinese government is actually cracking down on Christians again. And if your church is above a certain size, then you'll be shut down. So what the church has realized is, okay, the government will let us have up to this number, so once we get to that number, guess what? We're going to start another church. Because there's too many people in this church, so we're going to start another one. We may have to do that in this country. But we should be thankful that right now we have that freedom. But our foundation, our establishment is in Christ. So if you want to be established, it's in Christ. You say, well, how do you know he's talking about it here? Because what he says next, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul is, this is the whole point of this passage, right? Remember how he started the message about the gospel? Well, maybe we need to look. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Because I want to prove to you that I think this doxology is a, a summation of everything that Paul has said in very short terms. So if you look at Romans chapter 1, in verse 17. Well, let's start with verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power 
of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He's not ashamed because it's powerful. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. This is how he starts his message. This was the gospel. That was the whole point. From chapter 1 to chapter the end of chapter 11, Paul is laying out his gospel. But it's not his. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has shared with the church in Rome what the gospel is. And if you want to know what the gospel is, stop going to some guy elsewhere. Start going to the Word because there are plenty of people who are redefining the gospel and it's not in accordance with God's Word. You want to be established? Stop establishing yourself on some famous preacher. Maybe they're good. I'm not saying they aren't. But that man will one day die. And if he is a good preacher, he will be leading you to the Word of God. Because... God's Word is true. We all have interpretations that may not be exactly right. Why? Because we have biases as people. We have pet sins that God is dealing with. And so, we need to know what God's Word says and not the opinion of man. And that's why I constantly... I hope you see that I'm pointing you to to Christ and His Word because I understand some things. I believe God has opened my eyes, but there are things that I still don't totally understand. And I won't understand them after eternity with Christ. Oh wait, that doesn't end. We will need eternity to get to know the Lord because He is eternal. He has no end and no beginning. But if we are being taught the wrong gospel, we'll have a problem. We'll have the problem that he is trying to avoid in chapter 16, verse 17. Let's look there. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. What teaching? The teaching of the gospel. These men are teaching something in opposition to what Paul has already preached. Or whoever founded the church in Rome. We don't know. Despite the Catholic belief that Peter founded the church in Rome, there's no evidence of it until the church in Rome decided it wanted to be preeminent over all the other churches. Anyways, side note. But the teaching which you had learned, these men who are acting like believers, they think they want to be named in this list of people that Paul names, but they aren't believers because all they want to do is cause disunity. They want to cause people to get off in, in groups 
and fight one another. Why? Why do they do that? Because, verse 18, for such men are slaves. What kind of slaves? Slaves to God? No. Right? You, you, say, you might say, well, why did you say slaves to God? Well, remember in six, Romans 6.22, he said, Paul said, they haven't been freed from sin and slave. Well, I, I've said this. I believe that they haven't been freed from sin and enslaved to God. Why? Because Paul says this. He says, they're not slaves of our Lord Christ, but to what? Their own appetites. Whatever they want, whatever they feel like is good, that's what is their master. How many people do we know like this? They're quickly going one way and then, oh, that looks, more, that looks better over there. Oh, that tastes good. Let's go try that out. Or whatever. Quickly running from one sin to the next. Why? Because their foundation is not Christ. Their foundation is self. They are all about their sin. They have been still enslaved to sin, but they put on a good front. Yeah, see? And by their smooth and flattering speech, oh, it'll be okay. Everything's good. If you go over and do that, I mean, it won't hurt you. We love you. We, we are all about including people here. It doesn't matter that we don't, talk, we don't talk about sin because that's just offensive and it hurts people's feelings. I know that that may seem overreacting, but I've said in it, I've heard a message from someone that was pretty much that. There are plenty of wolves out there. And whether they realize it or not, they are destroying people because they have talked them out of the truth of God's Word. They're deceiving them just like these men. And if you are not established on the gospel of Jesus Christ as delivered to us in God's Word, you will be too. That is why Paul wrote this letter. He's not writing the letter because they have followed the lie, unlike the people in Galatia. Remember, he said, Why have you so quickly run from the truth? Why are you going back into bondage? He says that to the church in Galatia. The difference is here in Rome, what does he say? He says, for the report of your obedience has reached to all. Therefore, I'm rejoicing with you. I'm so happy that you have been obedient. What? Obedient to the faith, to the gospel. But he says, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. He's, he's sending the warning not because they have rejected truth, but as a precursor, hey, there's going to be more lies coming. It's not, it's not over 
Yeah, you you denied that person, but there's going to be a new person coming along. There's always a heresy coming around the corner. And by the way, most of them are not new. They're just repackaged garbage. It makes me think of all these companies that say, well, we, we recycle, our products are made from recycled goods. I'm not saying that that's not good, but how many times have you gotten some cheap plastic toy that was made from recycled goods and it was just as much garbage as it was when it went into the mold? The devil loves to repackage, reform, and de-destruct things so that when it's repackaged us, oh yeah, this is, oh man, this is so good. But we need to be careful because if we are unsuspecting, as Paul says at the end of verse 18, we will be deceived. We need the Spirit to give us discernment because there are many heresies and, and errors that are running around that are, I mean, there's so much truth in them that it is easy to be deceived because they just change one thing, one little, one little thing, and, and that little thing can lead us astray. The devil knows how to deceive. He's been in the business for a long time. If we think that we won't be deceived, we are already deceived because Christ alone will keep us from deception. And even believers have to be steered back to truth sometimes because we open the doors to deception. I think that's what happens when many people fall away and God in His grace calls them back. They, they open the door to some of these lies and false teaching. And just something to add here, I don't think Paul is just talking about teachers who are lying and deceiving. I think Paul is addressing all believers there are plenty of people in our lives who are not believers and they are seeking with their influence to deceive you. They might, may not realize how deceived they are. Most times people don't. But just because they say, I'm a Christian, does not mean they are a Christian. Just because they, you grew up with them and you would think that they believe the same way you do, that's not true. I've grown up with many people who grew up in this church and elsewhere, and they have no desire to walk with God today. Growing up in church does not mean that you're a Christian. A dog growing up on a chicken farm does not make that dog a chicken. I know that a little out of the... The dog's there, but he's not a chicken. 
There are plenty of people that we've grown up in. There may even be in this room today who are not following God. That's why we need to know the Word of God. Because God's Word is clear. Yeah, there are some, some things we may not be able to understand that God will need to open our eyes by His Holy Spirit. But the Gospel is clear. If there's one thing that is clear, it is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul has laid that out in the book of Romans, I think. Well, I don't think that we have to struggle to understand the Gospel as Paul has shown us. But if we allow the gospel to be twisted and turned, then we won't be established. We need to return to the gospel and make sure we understand it. Be constantly, as I like to say and many others, preach the gospel to yourself. Remember what the gospel is about. It's not about you. It's about what Jesus Christ did on the cross so that you could live a life of faith and obedience. Because this gospel has been planned from the beginning of time. But, as Paul says here, in verse 25, it's been a mystery that has been revealed. It has been a mystery that was kept secret for a long ages past. But it's now revealed. It's manifested. And by the Scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, it has been made known to all the nations, leading to, for what purpose? Obedience of works? Obedience of responsibility or we have to do this? Is that what it is? What, is it, what does it say? Obedience of faith, not obedience of, oh, I better do this or else I'm not going to make it. No, it's an obedience of, oh, Lord, I see the truth now. I want to obey, not because I think it saves me, but because I see that God's Word draws me to do this. The Holy Spirit has given me Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and following. The Holy Spirit that you've given me, it's causing me to follow you. Why? Because I have faith, not because I want to work my way to heaven. Paul talks about this revelation coming multiple times in the book of Romans. It's a theme that he has throughout. Just look with me at a couple of them. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 2 says, Called as an apostle, starting verse 1, set apart for the gospel of God. Again, we see this gospel theme throughout the book of Romans, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. So God hasn't kept it completely secret. But our understanding of it wasn't made truly evident until Christ came. Well, turn with me to 3, 
verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. What does that mean? The entire Old Testament has witnessed to this. It's been manifested. All that was preached in the Old Testament has now been manifested. And one more in chapter 10. Paul is talking about you know, how can they believe if no one's preached? How could they ever heed the good news? And he, he says at the end of chapter 15, or verse 15, he says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things, the gospel. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Right? So Isaiah is saying, Yes, I preached the gospel. It was cloaked in mystery, but he preached and they still did not believe. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard. Have they? What does Paul reply? Indeed they have. They have no excuse. Their voice has gone out into all the earth in their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? Well, he's, he's blowing this whole idea that Israel didn't know apart. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. The faith was given because they heard the word and God quickened by His Holy Spirit faith in their hearts. They didn't reject, as I believe many here have not rejected the truth. That's why you're here. You're not here because this is the popular church to be at. If you want to be in a popular church, sorry if you came because you thought it was popular here, but... Um, as you can see, we have a, a couple seats empty. There aren't people waiting outside to come in. That doesn't mean that we're missing it. But my whole point is, Christ is our foundation, and if we forget that, we are just like those who rejected the truth that has been revealed in Christ. If we decide that the gospel is not enough, that it is not sufficient for life and godliness, then we will be like those who are leading men and women astray because they're unsuspecting. They're trying to make friends with everybody. Oh, they're just a sweet person. There's no way they could 
Yes way, there is a way. We need to be very discerning, especially in these days ahead. I would not be surprised to see churches turning against other churches as some of these churches, I, I would not be surprised as churches began to adopt an ungodly way of thinking that they will start accusing, accusing Christians of not being Christians. Well, they're not Christians. If they were Christians, then they would do this. It will come if we are not established on the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will not make it. Not just in this life, but in the next, which is more important than anything. But when we do receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are walking in faith, which leads to obedience, right? They're interrelated. They're not separated. We can't separate them. If that is happening, then we are joining men and women all over the world who are doing this today. There are men and women who are doing what we're doing except under persecution. Maybe outside, in huts, in maybe even big buildings. There are believers all over the world today who are Worshiping God together. Why? Because the gospel has been preached and they believed and they love the truth. Do we love the truth? Do we love our God? Because if so, then we will want Him to get glory forever. That is where Paul ends verse 27. To the only wise God. He's not saying he's the only wise God because there's other gods who are not wise. He's saying he's the only God. This is our God who, from the beginning of time, he saw the world and he said, I will send my son to save them. We don't understand all that God is doing, but I promise you, he is wise. You look out in the world today and you say, God, how is that wise? One day we'll stand before him and be like, wow, how could that be? We may even in this lifetime see his wisdom and some of the madness that we see going on in a year that many want to write off, right? Right? Can we just like delete that year from history? God is working. He is wise. And for that reason, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever to Him. And you know how He receives glory? With names. You're saying, well, really? With names? Yes. People who did not 
care for their own lives. They cared for one another. And that's why when Paul makes this list of people in Rome and those that are with him, he is making a list of people who have been impacted by the glory of God and have been impacted with faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's read some of these. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is in Centrea. I think that's how you pronounce it. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. And that you help her in whatever matter that she may have need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. I think some people take this word servant. The word servant here is actually the feminine form of the word that we transliterate into English as deacon. It's the, the word deacon in Greek is actually the word that means servant. In no business today would it be popular to have the title servant. And it wouldn't have been popular except that we understand what Christ taught unless you become a servant first. Only in the church of Christ does the idea of being a servant come to any kind of glory. I don't believe that Paul is... This word that is translated servant here is never found anywhere else in any Greek writing of any kind. Very interesting. I think that he's just saying, look, she is serving in the church. She's not, I don't believe she's a deacon, despite what some people try to use this to um, argue for deacon, uh, deacons in the church. But I do believe she's serving the church in every way that she can. Why? Because she sees the church as her family. That is what this is. Paul is making a list of his family. Why? Because Paul, when he became a Christian, lost all his biological family because they rejected him. But these people have become like his own family. Especially the next person on the list. Well, I'm not going to talk to them yet, but it's interesting with her. It's very likely that she was the one that carried the letter from Paul to the church in Rome. Oftentimes when Paul writes a letter, he'll say, hey, help this person. Why? Because that person was sent by Paul with the letter. So I think that I think that she was the one that he sent with the letter to them. Then verse three, he talks about Prisca and Aquila, which Prisca is a short term for Priscilla and Aquila, who are, if you read Acts chapter eighteen, Paul encountered them at first in Corinth 
because they had been run off from Rome when the Jews were kicked out by the ruler at that time. And they received him. So they've been kicked out of Rome because they're Jews. And I, I don't know if at that time if they were believers. I'm assuming so when they were kicked out. They come to Corinth and they have a, a home there now. And they've just experienced this being kicked out of their home in Rome. And they invite Paul in to live with them. And they're making tents together. And when Paul goes to Ephesus, they go with him. And then later on there, they actually are correcting Apollos because Apollos didn't know about the baptism of Christ. He had only been taught about the baptism of John. But they, in love, brought him aside and corrected him together. So this couple were like his family. He lived with them. He ate with them. He worked with them. They supported him. And what does it say here? Who for my life risked their own necks. To whom not only do I give thanks that I still have a neck between my head and my shoulders, but all the churches of the Gentiles. We don't know when this happened, where maybe it was in Ephesus when everybody went crazy over Paul's teaching. We don't know when this happened, but they put their lives on the line because they were concerned not only about Paul, but the gospel of Jesus Christ. They loved the Lord and they wanted to glorify God with their lives and they wanted the world to know that Jesus was the way. And so they put their life on the line for Paul, whom they loved. And Paul continues to make statements, some short and some not very long at all, about different people as he goes down the list. He talks about the church that meets in Priscilla and Aquila's house. He talks about different people who was the first believer to Christ from Asia, not China and what we consider Asia, but Asia Minor, the main continent of Turkey today. He talks about a couple in verse 7, Andronicus and Junius who were Jews who became Christians, who were also had been in prison with Paul and who had a reputation among the apostles, who were actually believers before Paul. He calls them beloved, fellow worker, approved in Christ. Workers in the Lord. Beloved. Worked hard in the Lord. What, what is the passion of all these people? It's the same one that Paul had. 
the gospel and glorifying Jesus Christ as Lord. Giving glory to God in His wisdom of sending Christ to die. These people loved God. That's why they're listed here, not because they were great in the world's standards. It was because they served the Lord with their lives. And I believe we should be on a list like this. Not because we're famous. These are just the ones, if Paul had known every believer in Rome, he probably would have greeted every single one of them. But he didn't. He greeted the ones he knew. And he said, greet one another with a holy kiss. I think that's a command. No. <laughs> In Spain, they still do the, the faux kiss when you um, greet someone. Or actually, in some places in Guatemala, they still do it. Um, it's interesting here, a holy kiss versus an unholy kiss. Well, in those days, as today, a kiss could be more than just a greeting. It was a sensual thing. So Paul is, Paul, I think he puts holy before kiss to be like, look, not a lingering kiss, just a greeting kiss. There's a difference. In Guatemala, there's, when you greet someone, it's not a plant a, a big one on somebody, it's just a, a little peck. And if you did the other, then somebody would think you're trying to make a move. And I, I know this sounds like, why are you even... I'm just wanting us to be clear. Paul is putting holy before kiss so that they understand this is not this is nothing more than a greeting. It's not a, something that is to be lingering. And then finally, Paul names those who are working with him currently, who want to send their greetings to their brothers in Rome. Timothy. I mean, he's everywhere with Paul, like a son. Lucius and Jason and Sospiter. And it's here we find out that Paul had someone write the letter for him. Paul had him write it down. He, he spoke the words, but this uh, man, Tertius, wrote it. It's too bad we don't know who these people are because we would actually know where Paul is sending the letter from because it says that Gaius hosted me into the whole church greets you. So they're at Gaius' house. They're spending time with a brother who's like family. Just think about it. In our world today, non-Christians go to each other's family homes, right? Generally speaking, not always, but they spend time together. Families spend time together. And here, Paul has a family. They have all been adopted into God's family. Romans 8. The Holy Spirit has done that. So, what, what do we do with 
this chapter 16? How do we apply it to our life? I think we've seen some application already. Be discerning. Know the gospel. If we don't know the gospel, we can't discern what is good and what is evil. We don't need to go out into the world and live a a sinful life to know what is evil. The Bible tells us. What is in opposition to the gospel is evil. So know the gospel because the gospel of Jesus Christ establishes us. That's how you want God to get glory? Let Him establish you in His Word, in Jesus Christ, so that you will have obedience that comes from faith, not from a desire to work your way into heaven. And one day, your name will be in a book. It won't be the book of Romans, but it will be in the Lamb's book of life. And when you come forward, He'll say, I see you in Christ. Welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant. Not good, well done, good and faithful CEO. Well done, good and faithful associate. And then name the name. No, well done, good and faithful janitor. And this is not to put janitors down, but that's how a lot of people look at the, term, the title janitor. What, what's that, what is it that they call janitors now that's supposed to be less demeaning? I can't remember. Custodian, but there's another. I've, I've heard like it's a two-phrase something. Uh, head of maintenance or something like that. Um, and it, I'm not trying to demean. I know the janitor at my high school was a great guy, a really nice guy. Um, I'm not, yeah, anyways, all I have to say is, when we get to heaven, we're all going to be servants. It's not going to be, well, you were this title in, on earth and you were that title. We're all, if we are faithfully serving the Lord, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, not good and faithful landowner and, and whatever name. In Christ, we're one, we're the same. But if we want to make it, if we want to be on in the book of life, we need to know the gospel. We need to know the truth. We need to be spending time in the word. Because otherwise, there will be men who come and women who seek to deceive you and I. And if we don't know what the word says... If we don't know what God has said and what the gospel is, we will be led astray because what they are sharing sounds good, will probably feel good in the moment, but will lead you straight to hell. Well, I think that's where we will end Romans. I pray that Through this book, we have come to a greater understanding of the gospel, a greater understanding of what God has done for us, 
and how to love one another. Because and when we understand what God has done for us, we should have a love like these people on the list. Paul loved them. That's why he greeted them. We should think of one another in the same way, as beloved. Yeah, we're different. Yeah, there's things that might irk us about one another. But we know what Christ has done in us and who we would be without Him. So, I can love you because God has done the same work in you. And all this, as he ends the book, is for the glory of God. It is an unending glory. When we get to heaven, His glory will be so bright that there will not need to be a sun because His glory will provide the light. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the revelation of Jesus Christ to our hearts. Your preservation of Your Word, Lord. That we are able, thousands of years later, to read books, letters written by the apostles to churches, to believers. We're thankful for such clear teaching on the gospel, clear teaching on how that gospel should affect our relationship with one another and with the world around us. Lord, help us to apply what we've learned in Romans these many, many months to our lives. Lord, bring us back to the book when we're wondering about truth. But not just Romans, you're... Your whole word, Lord. Give us a delight in your word, Lord. A delight in the gospel because, Lord, you establish us through your gospel. We don't want to be torn and broken up by the winds and the rain when they come. Help us, Lord, to be founded on your word and on the powerful work of Christ on the cross for us. Be with us today, Lord, as we go. I pray that each one of us, if we are not born again, would be broken inside. That you, by your Spirit, Lord, would preserve each of us so that one day we will all stand before you and hear the words, Well done good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you can go out rejoicing today, but I'm going to. So...